Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. Thank you so much for joining in worship. You guys can sure sing. It sounded beautiful. Uh, it's really a blessing to be here this morning. Thank you for welcoming me here. And uh, I've been so encouraged uh, hearing that as a church you've been going through prayer and the Lord's Prayer. And I love that you have a heart to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and that you want to know him more, that you want to lift up the prayers and the needs of other people. I love that this is a church of prayer. And I've enjoyed uh, listening to the other sermons in this series so far about why do we pray, but our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today I'm excited to explore Jesus' words of give us today our daily bread. And as I was preparing for this, uh, there was a picture that came to my mind that I saw a while ago. Then we've got it up here. Well, there it is. The hardest things to say, I'm sorry, I need help, I was wrong, Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if I said that right. And uh, you'd be pleased to know this is not a sermon on Worcestershire sauce this morning. But that second one there, I need help. I think that's one that we all struggle with. And not just needing help, but the idea of needs in general. What are our needs? Who provides for our needs? Can we actually ask God for the things that we need? And Jesus' answer to this is a resounding yes. And he builds this upon the foundation of what's already gone before in the Lord's Prayer. The reason that we can come to Jesus with our needs is because he's our father and he's in heaven. Let's start with our father. When Jesus says father and starts this prayer by using that term, that's something quite normal for us. We like to refer to God as a father. But when Jesus did this, this was kind of out of the blue. This wasn't something that normally happened. In the Old Testament, God was only referred to as father in prayer twice, both in the book of Isaiah and both in a reference uh, of God being a father over the nation of Israel, not necessarily as a personal father to you or I. But then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus starts every one of his prayers by referring to God as his father. Every single one except for his prayer on the cross when he says, my God, my God. But all the other ones, he starts by saying, Father. And in the New Testament alone, God is, or Father is used as a term for God more than 170 times. And this isn't just a coincidence. Jesus is telling us something incredibly important about prayer. He's saying that we are no longer servants and slaves who come timidly before our king, hoping that he might welcome us into his presence. But because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we are beloved sons and daughters who can come boldly into his presence because we know that he loves us. We know that he welcomes us and we can come to him freely. And he's not just our father, but he's also in heaven. And that's not just speaking about his current places of residence, but it's speaking about his power and his perfection. That our God is not just that nice, cozy God that likes to give us hugs and loves us a lot, but can't actually do anything. But he actually is powerful. He has power to make right what is wrong in the world, like Brent talked about last week. One of my favorite musical artists, a guy by the name of John Foreman, he sings these words. He says, two things you've told me, that you are strong and you love me. You're strong and you love me. I wonder how different our life would be if we believed both of those things about God's character at the same time. That he's strong, 
that he's in heaven, that he's powerful, but also that he's our father who loves us, that welcomes us into his presence. And it's upon this foundation that Jesus says, now you can come to me with your needs. You can come to me and ask for your daily bread. And when Jesus said these words, his hearers would have immediately thought about the story of God providing the manna from heaven to the Israelites in the wilderness. And Jesus is showing that we can come to him with our physical needs. That those Israelites were wandering around and God provided food every day. And he provided just the amount that they needed for that day. And they could rely upon him to provide for their needs. But I think for us, it feels a little bit different. Maybe we struggle with asking God for our physical needs. Maybe we feel like if we ask God for that, we're less spiritual or something like that. But Jesus, in Hebrews 4, tells us that Jesus lived the same life that we did, but without sin. He understands the human experience. He entered it fully. He knows exhaustion and pain and hunger and thirst. He knows that these are very real things that we do need. And he asks us to bring these to him. That we can ask him for food, for clothing, for shelter, for healing in our physical body. And there's a man named George Mueller. You might know who he is. He's a famous Christian evangelist and director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And over the course of his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. That's amazing. It actually says 10,024, so they have really good record-keeping skills, I guess. And he established 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 kids. And there's a famous and beautiful story about God's provision in George Mueller's orphanage. At the orphanage George ran, one morning all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food. There was no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal. When Mueller said, children, you know that we must be on time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you're going to give us to eat. Moments later, as the children sat down to empty plates, sorry, I lost my spot. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m., baked some fresh bread, and brought it for you. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. This was not an uncommon experience for George Mueller and his children, who decided, or George decided, that he would never ask for money, but simply pray for all the needs of the orphanage to be met. He did this with his personal life too, drawing no salary but simply asking the Lord to provide for his needs and the needs of his family. When we read his journals, we find that God always met the needs of George and his orphanage. It's pretty incredible. And I tell you this story to remind you that when Jesus speaks of the Father providing for us, he really means it. The resources of heaven are not scarce. And the story also tells us something about the Lord's Prayer. It's not meant to be an individual prayer, but a communal one. We don't say, my Father in heaven, give me today my daily bread. We pray, our Father, give us today our daily bread. We are called to pray for the needs of other people. The people that tell us about their needs, maybe we sense a need that someone else has, and we can bring that need to God in prayer. 
I remember someone telling me when I was a kid that anytime they hear an ambulance or a fire truck or a police siren, they just take that moment to pray. They don't know the situation, but to pray for those who are responding, to pray for those who are in the middle of an emergency. And it can be simple. It can just be saying, God, provide for everything that they need. And God often provides directly and miraculously, but often he provides indirectly through you and through me. I find that story of George Mueller fascinating. The milkman, his cart broke down outside the orphanage. I think we can call that a direct and miraculous act of God. But what about the baker? He couldn't sleep. He woke up in the middle of the night. He felt he heard God's voice to make bread for the people at the orphanage. And he listened and he obeyed. I was talking to Pastor Brent before this, and he sent me some of his notes, and uh, this was something he said that really stuck with me. He said that we may be the answer to someone else's prayer for daily bread. Often the provision that people pray for is provided by others who sense the stirring of the Spirit in their heart to give. Perhaps when we pray, give us our daily bread, we should also pause to listen and ask, am I the answer to someone else's prayer for, for provision? We may be the answer to someone's prayer for daily bread. We may be the one who provides financially or provides groceries, or we provide by simply being a friend and a neighbor. We may be the one who speaks life to a heart that is discouraged. As we pray for our daily bread, we should also be attentive to the fact that we are called to provide for each other. And so Jesus tells us to come to him with our physical needs, but he also tells us to come to him with our emotional needs. And in saying that, I already lost some of you. You're like, oh, I'm out. We're not talking about emotions here. But Jesus, the way that he lives his life, he shows us that he cares deeply for the emotional needs of his people. First Peter 5, says in 5, 7, it says, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus lived his life caring for the emotional needs of others. He wept with those who wept. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He lived his life with conviction and passion. And even when he healed people, it was never just physical. He healed them physically, emotionally, spiritually. It was a holistic healing and one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Mark chapter 1, the story of Jesus healing the man with leprosy. And in that time, if you had leprosy, your life was incredibly difficult. You couldn't live in the cities and villages. You had to live in your own colony outside. You couldn't come close to anyone in the fear of them getting your disease. It was even to the point that if you saw someone who didn't have leprosy, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that they wouldn't come close to you and contract the disease themselves. It would be incredible, incredibly isolating and sad existence. But this man breaks all the rules. He hears about Jesus, and he wants to come to him. And so he walks up to Jesus, and you can even imagine, I'm sure the crowd, when they realize who was bumping shoulders with them, they probably parted. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls at his feet, and he says, if you are willing, you will make me clean. And Jesus does something amazing. He heals the man, which is a miracle in itself. But how exactly does he do it? He touches him. He reaches out, and he touches this man with leprosy. 
Now, did Jesus need to touch people in order to heal them? No, he's touched people, or he's healed people like two towns over before. But in this circumstance, he decides to reach out and touch this man. I believe that Jesus was able to see the fullness of this man's pain. He saw his physical pain, of course, but he was able to see the pain of the heart. He was able to see the emotional pain, the isolation, the fact that he was probably not known or loved by anyone else. No one would have come close enough to get to know him. And in reaching out and touching him, Jesus shows him that he is valuable and that he is loved. In the next chapter, Jesus heals a man with, who, who is a paralytic, and he heals him physically, but he also heals him spiritually. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus shows us time and time again that he's not just concerned about our physical needs. He's not just concerned about our spiritual needs, but Jesus wants to provide for all of our needs, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I think another reason that we struggle to bring our emotional needs to God is because we don't feel like we can actually be honest with him about our hurt and our pain. Pastor Brent talked last week about the things that are wrong in the world, and that is not a short list. There's a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness. I'm sure even here today for many of you that you are holding, carrying heavy brokenness and pain today. And for anyone who has physical pain, whether sickness or an injury, you would know that it's not just a physical battle, but it affects your relationships, your emotions, the way that you carry out day-to-day activities. And maybe you've prayed for healing before, and you've prayed, and you feel like nothing has changed, and you struggle with believing that God actually cares for you. The pain can be deep. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. And in these moments, it's often hard to use words like believe and trust, isn't it? What does it actually mean to trust God in the middle of my pain and my brokenness? Does it mean that anytime I feel doubt or pain, I just shove it down because if I was a good Christian who trusted God, I wouldn't be feeling these things? Well, Psalm 62, it says this. It says, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people, trust in him at all times. And this is strong language. This is like pre-game, burst through the wall kind of language. And if we're not careful, I think we can interpret a verse like this to say that if we were really not being shaken, if we were really trusting in God at all times, we wouldn't have any room for doubt or hurt in our lives. But this verse goes on, and it says, after trusting him at all times, it says, pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Pour out your heart to him. True trust is not found in suppressing our doubt or our honest feelings. But true trust is found in actually entrusting our honest heart to God. Saying, these are the things that I have in my heart right now. I'm not going to hide them from you as if I ever could. But I'm placing these in your hands because I need you. I need you to hold my heart. I mentioned Philippians 4, 6, and 7 earlier. And if you're anything like me, you see that that verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. If you're anything like me, you probably stop after that first line. You say, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, 
Anxious equals bad. If I'm being anxious, I'm doing something wrong, don't be anxious. That's not what this verse is saying. There's a beautiful promise about the peace of God. That doesn't come from when we just pretend like we aren't anxious. The bridge in between the two says that that peace of Christ comes when we, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present a request to God. We present him our honest heart. We trust that he cares for us. But how honest can we really be? That's a question I find myself asking. Thankfully, there's a lot of examples in Scripture of being very honest with God in prayer. Psalm 13 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. David is really honest here, and we can be too. And these prayers are called lament, and there's a lot of examples of lament throughout Scripture. And every lament has two important parts to it. This is the first one, the honesty, sharing exactly what's in our hearts to God. But the second one is also incredibly important, and that's reminding ourselves of the character of God. If you go to the next slide there, we'll see that in Psalm 13, verse 1, where it says, How long, Lord? Later on in the chapter, it says, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And in Psalm 22, after saying, Why have you abandoned me? says, but yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are my strength. We need to be honest, and we need to be reminded of who God is. I think it's important for us to know kind of where we are on that continuum. Maybe you're the kind of person that has no problem with honesty. You just let God have it whenever you want. But maybe you struggle to remind yourself of the character of God, about his goodness, about his strength. Maybe you're on the other side. You focus on the character of God, but maybe you skip over the honesty because it feels uncomfortable, it feels wrong. The Psalms of Lament show us that both are incredibly important, that God welcomes us to be honest, but also to stand upon his character, to know who he is. And so we've taken a lot of time talking about the invitation, and I think I've done that because I think many of us don't actually believe that Jesus invites us to come to him with our needs. But Jesus also gives us a caution, and Pastor Brent, you, you talked about this as you led us in communion. In the story of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and you can imagine after doing that, the people were pretty excited. It actually says they're so excited that they try to make Jesus their king by force. And so he slips out, and he goes across the lake to the other side, and uh, to his dismay, I mean, he probably knew it was coming, but the same people were waiting for him on the other side of the lake. And uh, you know what? I don't blame them. If a guy could conjure up a buffet at any moment, I'd probably be following him around too. But they come to him, and Jesus sees their hearts. And he says this in verse 26, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And later on, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
See, these people weren't seeking Jesus. They were seeking the things that he could give them. I have a daughter named Lucy. She's almost three, and uh, she has a pretty good handle on a lot of aspects of life, not so much on others. But one of the things that she has a handle on is how to do what she needs to to get what she wants, which is kind of a staple of the three-year-old phase. And uh, she'll come to me and say, Daddy, can I have a chocolate? Ah, no, honey, not right now. It's okay. She'll seek out another opinion. Mommy, can I have a chocolate? No, honey, not right now. But she's not a quitter, and chocolate is on the line. And she has the benefit of having her Grammy and Papa living in the basement. So she goes over there, and she snuggles up and gives kisses and looks at them with those puppy dog eyes. Grammy, Papa, I love you. Can I have a chocolate? I mean, what are you possibly going to do about that? And even at a young age, she understands that she can use her cuteness to manipulate people into giving her what she wants. It might be a bit of a silly example, but I think for many of us, that's not too far from the heart that we have when we come to Jesus in prayer. We come and we seek him. Maybe we even pat ourselves on the back. Look at me, I'm praying. But are we really seeking him for who he is? Or just for what he can give us? I want to pause and say, we just talked about how God wants us to come to him with our needs. He does. That invitation is there, and he wants us to come to ask for what we need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But in doing that, may we never forget that Jesus himself is our greatest need, that he is the bread of life. And we really do need Jesus. And I wonder if that's true in your life. Do you feel like you need Jesus? It's kind of an unfair question. I think there's a pretty obvious answer there. Of course I need Jesus. Any good Christian would say that. And if you were to ask to explain yourself, you'd probably say something like, oh, well, you know what? I was dead in my sins, separated from God, and I, I, I needed Jesus. And he came, and he died for me, and he, he forgave me and raised me to new life. Of course I need Jesus. For the sake of eternity, I need him. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But what about on a daily basis? Do you feel the daily desperate need for Jesus? Now, many days, maybe even most days, we don't. We don't feel that daily desperate need for Jesus. Many of the things that we do will happen whether or not Jesus is a part of them. There's a lot of people who have lived really good lives without much of a need for Jesus. But then we look at the words of Jesus himself. In John chapter 15, he says, Abide in me and I in you and you will remain, or, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder if the reason that we don't always feel the daily desperate need for Jesus is because we've lowered the bar extremely low on what actually is a good life. That we've allowed the world's standards of a good life to distract us from the abundant life that Jesus promises to those who believe. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. Life to the full, abundant life. In his book, Waking the Dead, John Eldridge says this. He said, Many of us struggle to think of ourselves as transformed people. Our names are written down somewhere in heaven, and we've been forgiven. Perhaps we even changed a bit in what we believe and how we act. We confess the creeds now, and we've got our temper under control, for the most part. But transform seems a little bit too much to claim. How about forgiven and on our way? 
That's how most Christians would describe what's happened to them. It's partly true and partly untrue. And the part that is untrue is what's killing us. Yes, we've been forgiven by Jesus. And we would be nowhere without that. We owe everything to him. But he also has transformed us. He's given us new life. I heard someone describe it as we like to focus on Jesus' death. We focus on the cross because that proves that we're forgiven. But we often don't think about the empty tomb, the resurrection, which tells us that we've been raised again and we have new abundant life because of Jesus. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And what is this abundant life? I mean, that could be a 12-week sermon series right there. But a quick flyover of the abundant life tells us these things. That those who live the abundant life are people who are healed, restored, and set free. People who listen to God's voice and obey where he leads. And people who fight against the darkness with the light of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life that I would like to live a life that's healed and restored from the things that hold me back, a life that's so close that I can hear God's voice and follow where he's leading, a life where I'm able to rely on the strength of God to fight against the darkness in our world and shine the light of Jesus. And that excites me, but I admit when I see that, it also reminds me that there is no way that I could possibly do that on my own. I think when we focus on the abundant life that Jesus offers to us, we realize pretty quickly that we do desperately need him. We can't do this without Jesus. In the church world, uh, we often ask this question. Sorry, I need a little water. We often ask the question, do you need prayer? You ever been asked that one before? If you're anything like me, you probably go through a mental checklist in your mind. All right, am I sick? No. Does anyone I know having a surgery this week? No. You know what? I'm good. I don't need any prayer. Thanks so much for asking, though. Have we ever done that? Yeah, I can't be the only one. I wonder, next time that we are asked, do you need prayer? And spoiler alert, you'll be asked that in a few moments. I wonder if we focused on this we focus on the abundant life that Jesus gives to us. And how would that change the way that we answer? Do you need prayer? Oh yeah. I need Jesus to remind me that I'm healed, restored, and set free. Do you need prayer? Yeah, I want to know God's voice. I want to hear him and follow where he leads. Do you need prayer? Yes, I need him to fight against the darkness with his light. And it could be simple. Jesus, I need you. And I need to know more about how much I need you. I'd like to call the worship team up, and we're going to sing one more song. And as we do, we'd like to have an opportunity for you to come to Jesus in prayer. And we have, uh, I've been told we have people who are ready to pray. And so if that's you, uh, if you're ready to go, that'd be lovely. But if I can encourage you, if you have physical or emotional needs that are on your heart right now that you feel like you'd like to bring to Jesus in prayer, would you please do that? Come find someone to pray for you, to place these into his hands, knowing that he cares for you, that he wants to hold your pain. He wants to heal you and restore you. He wants to let you know that he is with you.
But I'd like to ask something else as well, whether you have physical and emotional needs to bring to him today. I'd like to ask you that we think about that abundant life that he gives. And maybe you go up to someone and just say, I don't necessarily have any particular needs right now, but could you just pray the fullness of Jesus upon me? Can you just pray that I understand my need for Jesus more today? And uh, I'm a bit of an optimist, so I'd love to see everyone praying, and maybe all the people that sign up for prayer are already taken up. And if that's the case, you find someone that you know, go over, ask for prayer. If you see someone who looks like they pray a lot, go and ask them for prayer. Let's be people of prayer who lift up the needs of one another and who remember that Jesus has forgiven us, has raised us to new life, and given us this abundant life. And we can come to him with the things that we need. We need to be reminded that he himself is our greatest need. So as we sing, please feel free to come up to receive prayer, to come before our Father together.